0: Well, good morning. It is (laughs) good to be with you guys this morning. Um, I would say our entire family is here. Uh, Actually, my wife and our three youngest, um, they're a little under the weather this morning. We are actually all here in Michigan. Thank you for the sub-freezing temperatures that you guys readied for our arrival. We just came in uh, last night, but my two oldest kids are here this morning with me. There they are, uh, sitting in the middle, uh, Brianna and Brady. Um, and guys, honestly, uh, I know probably everybody says this, man, uh, we're so happy to be here with you guys. You have been a part of our support network for so many years, and um, man, you've stood behind us in prayer, you've stood behind us financially. Uh, I don't know how many of you guys actually remember this, it was a while ago, but you actually sent a building team extraordinaire out to our island to help us get set up in the ministry back in 2009, and uh, with the lack of building skills that I have, my wife is more grateful than you guys will ever know for the folks that you sent our way. So seriously, I mean that from the bottom of my heart, man. We are excited to be able to be with you guys this morning, um, to be here for your guys' missions conference. That is a real treat. But I think even more than the, the support that you guys have been to us uh, through finances and through prayer, probably uh, one of the biggest things that you guys have done for us is just in the way of encouragement, um, I mean this uh, with all sincerity. This church is special. This church is special because uh, from the time that I was a kid, um, man, I've been hearing stories about St. John's First Baptist. We used to come back here uh, and do furloughs in Michigan. And uh, we used to come and we used to share at this church. And just to see this church's zeal, this church's enthusiasm, for being a part of the Great Commission. man, it's, a, it, it's exciting, but it's more than just that. It's more than you guys are just, man, excited to play a part in this. You guys have, have gone above and beyond, and you guys have sought to do the hard work to educate yourselves as a church with what is good and what is not good in the world of missions today. You guys are one of the most uh, best educated churches that I have the privilege of rubbing shoulders with. And guys, that's an encouragement to us because we spend all these years out on the field and we see the good and the bad that takes place out there. And to know that you guys are back here and you guys are scrutinizing the efforts that you are Making in the Great Commission, man, that you guys are saying no to things so that you can say yes to things, man, that's an encouragement to us out on the field. It makes your ministry here as a church, as senders, so much more effective. So thank you, thank you for the encouragement that you guys have been to us in that regard. Why don't we open our time this morning with a word of prayer, and commit our time to the Lord. Dear Heavenly Father, we thank you uh, for this morning. We thank you for this group of Sundays that, uh, that you've given to us um, to just focus on on your heartbeat for the world. Lord, I, I pray this morning that you would give me the words to share that would challenge, that would strengthen, that would encourage this body of believers with what you are doing, with what you have Involved the church in to see your name made famous to the ends of the earth. Lord, I pray that you would be glorified during this hour this morning. God, thank you for what you have used this church to accomplish. I pray that you would continue to refine the body here as you refine each one of us as individuals that we may more seriously follow you with every day that you have given to us here on this earth, knowing that this life here is but a short time, and that every day you've given to us is a gift that we are given to invest in eternity. So Lord, take this time, take these words, use it for your purposes, I pray. In Jesus' name, amen. So I was sitting uh, in our Church uh, back in San Diego a couple weeks ago, and I was sitting in the audience, and they were doing a missionary update, uh, which they you know frequently do, and I recognized the name of the missionary, and um, they said, "Yeah, so and so has been over uh, in Africa, and uh, here's the things that they're involved in now." Uh, they they went to the field 30 years ago, and I was sitting in the in the chair, going good night. They've been over there for thirty years. I thought I knew what they were doing over there, but I, I just—it struck me. They've been over there for thirty years. I knew so little of what these guys had been doing overseas, and I know that there were other folks in the audience that uh, knew more intimately. But I just—it reminded me that no matter how familiar uh, churches are with their missionaries, there's probably uh, it's probably safe to assume that not everybody knows the missionaries and what they. Uh, have been doing over uh, in international countries. So I just want to give like a a brief recap this morning of who we are um, and what we've been up to for the last 13 years in the country of Papua New Guinea. Uh, I can't go into it in depth. We don't have time this morning. Um, if you want to hear the specifics about the ministry and the church plant on BM, man, I do invite you, as uh, Pastor Tim said, to come back this evening. We'll be able to share much more in depth on those topics. But uh, I, Rachel and I met uh, at college in Southern California in 2001. We got married. We joined the workforce. We, uh, I worked as an accountant for about two years. And all through those years, and in our college years, uh, we felt the door was open for us to be involved in international missions, in, in cross-cultural church planning. We never received a call beyond the, the words that are written in this book. But we just felt like the door was open. And so uh, in 2003, we joined New Tribes Mission. We went through two years of training with that organization. Don't get me going on that topic. Uh, You guys are very familiar with how necessary training is. Um, Man, I can can tell you from first-hand experience, the mission field is a graveyard of well-intentioned but ill-trained people. So, man, uh, we went through two years of training with New Tribes, and I am thankful for it. We arrived on the mission field in Papua New Guinea in 2006. We took a couple years to learn the trade language there, and we served in various support roles. And then in 2008, we heard about a people group called the BM People. They lived on four islands off the north coast of Papua New Guinea, about 3,000 in size, and that was in 2008 we made our first visits to those islands and we told them who we are what we would do if they wanted us to come they said yes please come we want to hear this message in our own language and so in 2009 after we got our houses built uh, we moved our families out there to one tiny little one-square-mile volcano in the middle of the Pacific. And uh, that was our home. It has been our home for the last 10 years. And by God's grace, we have seen a church planted on that island. And the church is growing towards maturity. But, guys... um, I could stand up here this morning, I could share story after story about cool things that the missionary did out there, that we did, you know, on that island, our co-workers. And you'd come away probably going, wow, those guys, man, uh, they're actually pretty good missionaries. Guys, the truth is, man, we made so many mistakes. We were feeble, feeble, feeble tools in our great God's hands. But a church stands on that island today by God's grace. And only by God's grace. And it stands there for his glory. That he has has stooped to use you and I to be involved in such an incredible task. That's amazing to me. And it's humbling. It should be humbling to us. That he uses you and I to build up and edify and equip the body here. Man, that's astounding. But that he goes beyond that and he uses us to bring spiritually dead people into this body. That's just absolutely incredible. And it should amaze us. Man, thank you for being a part of that. But all glory goes to our creator God for what he has done on that island. Again, uh, I invite you to come back this evening and hear some more specifics about that. This morning, though, I want to spend some time in God's Word and I want to share a message with you guys. And it's a message that is coming to you and it finds its basis in God's Word, or else it would not be worth sharing with you this morning. But it's also a message that comes to you from your BM brothers and sisters in Christ, specifically from the elders of the church on BM. So if you have your your Bibles um, open them to the book of 1st Corinthians chapter 4 and this message this message simply put is a call to proper eschatology okay now before anyone's blood pressure spikes I know that word eschatology man uh, that is filled with all kinds of meaning and uh, it's been the topic of much discord amongst Christians over the last many many decades centuries But the the part of eschatology that I want to talk about this morning is our ultimate final end as believers in Jesus Christ. That bit of eschatology we tend to agree on as Christians. That one day there will be a new creation and we will live with our glorious creator God free from the effects of sin. And we will live forever with him in eternity. That part, the very, very, very end, man, we tend to agree on that. So as we were getting ready uh, to come back to the States for uh, this home assignment that we, were, that we are on currently, uh, we were in the coastal town of Wewak there in Papua New Guinea, And I got word that two of our elders from BM Island, they had made the 80-mile boat trip to the mainland town where we were at. And uh, it afforded us one last opportunity to sit with these dear brothers before we hopped on the plane the next morning. And so I was sitting there with Garak and Kamai, these two two of the five elders um, of the church out there. And I asked him, guys, you know, you know we're going back. We're going back to the churches that have sent us to bring this message to you. And they're very familiar uh, with you guys. Not the names, but just that we've been sent out by churches here in the United States. And I said, hey, w- is there anything that you want me to share with them? Is there anything that you want me to pass on to them? And they said two things. One thing they said, ma'am, tell them to pray for us. Tell them to pray for us. And they listed out some things, and again, we'll talk about those tonight. Um, That's not the topic for this morning. But uh, they said, the second thing they said was, man, tell them that we are going to one day meet them. Not down here on earth. We're going to meet them up in our home. We're going to meet them up in our home. Tell them to live now for that day. Live now for that day. You can't talk to a BM believer very long Before their co- the conversation ends up being taken to heaven And this isn't because they're super spiritually mature They're, all, they're only 7 year olds you know, in their spiritual lives But it's because God's given them a, What I believe is truly a tremendous gift Their life on that island That beautiful tropical island Their life is difficult It is hard Man, they're subsistence livers. They fish for their meals out of the ocean, and when they don't catch anything, they go hungry. Their gardens, man, when they don't carry a good crop, they go hungry. It is difficult, difficult, difficult on that island. But you know what it does? It makes eternity tremendously real for those guys. It makes the hope of what is to come very, very tangible, very real. And it makes any sacrifice that they make in light of that future home utterly worth it. It makes it utterly worth it. And so that clarity, that clarity is a tremendous gift that God has given to that church. Now, it's kind of ironic that that I'm going to be sharing with you guys about this topic this morning because man, this church, this church kind of embodies these truths. Man, you guys have a vision for what is to come. You live, this church lives in light of eternity. But I don't, I don't begin uh, to pretend to know uh, where each of you guys is at individually. Um, so maybe, maybe this message will hit you, um, and and you need to hear it this morning as an individual. But the other reality is that St. John's First Baptist Church, you guys are part of the broader American church. You guys are part of the broader American church, and that is a church that has more earthly blessing than maybe any other church in the history of humanity. That's the setting that you guys find yourselves in. And so it behooves us to know what weaknesses are inherent in our surroundings. Man, that's the broader church that this church finds itself a part of. And so, man, we need to know. What weaknesses are coming out of that? And honestly, come on, you know how easy it is to to be susceptible to shift when you are in the middle of a situation. I can remember uh, back to our island, uh, a couple months after these guys left our our house there standing... Uh, and it was beautiful guys it was pristine it was great by all missionary standards and the first time I can remember the first time I saw a little dust pile on our plywood floor and I was like what in the world is that oh my goodness the kids didn't brush their feet off and it was a termite mound on our plywood floor and guys it spread like wildfire. I mean, that island is infested with winged termites and there was nothing that we could do to stop them. And the, the horror of what I was seeing initially as this tiny little mound of termites began to spread into like this town, this colony, this entire termite nation that covered our entire plywood floor in that house, I got unbelievably used to to what I was seeing there. I mean, I, I knew where not to walk at our house because, you know, the plywood's a little spongy right there. My 200-pound frame might fall through. I got to, I got to know which... It, it was like, honestly, living in, in an ant farm because we had this tiny little veneer of varnish on top of our floor, and they would eat all the plywood right up to the varnish. And so you could look down and, oh, yeah, they're really moving around a lot right now. And you could poke right through and, and, and crush about 50 of them, and you feel real good for a little while. And then another you know, termite farm would pop up over in your bedroom or wherever. You learned which farms not to not to break just because the house is, you know, getting pretty old right now and we don't want to compromise anything. And it was unbelievable to me the things that we got used to out there with those stinking termites. And we would leave the island after being there for nine months and we'd go to the mainland to deal with medical, to get resupplied and we'd come back And man, when I set foot in that house after being away for two weeks, I was just shocked. Oh my goodness, we've got termites. They're terrible. Our house is going to fall down. But it didn't take very long before I got used to this environment that I was living in. And so, man, it is important, important for us to be reminded of the weaknesses that are going to be inherent in the culture that we're living in. As North American Christians. If you have your Bibles open to 1 Corinthians, we're going to start looking uh, at verse 8. Paul, for several chapters now, the setting is that he's been trying to call the Corinthian church back to right thinking. Back to correct thinking in so many different areas, and we don't have time to go into all of them, but he's been talking on divisions in the church, uh, on true wisdom versus worldly wisdom, on apostleship and authority. He's trying to set them straight on so many things. And we get here to verse 8. And he begins to call them to a right thinking eschatologically. A reminder of our ultimate destiny as believers. And that that ultimate destiny, it's not now. It is not now. And he has these words to share with us in verse 8. Already you have all you want. Already you have become rich. You have become kings and that without us how I wish that you really had become kings so that we might be kings with you. He begins to lay out for the Corinthians church with not a little bit of sarcasm in there, their understanding of their situation. This is how you see yourselves, guys. This is how you see yourselves, that you've arrived. You're filled now. Man, financially you're squared away. You've got authority, power. You're not the lowly of society you've become to you 've begun to reign you 're looking like kings right now, oh my goodness there 's a subtle shift that has taken place in the Corinthian church because if you go back to chapter one and verse twenty two he says, "Man, this is what you guys." This is what you guys were saved out of. Not many of you guys. Do you remember back then? Do you remember when you were saved? Not many of you guys were were wealthy. Not many of you guys were wise by worldly standards. Not many of you guys had authority. But here's where you find yourselves right now. This is what you guys have found. And there's been this shift in their mentality. They're enjoying a type of Christianity that finds heavy satisfaction in the present and I'm not talking about their present relationship with God. No, they're finding a heavy satisfaction in the present world that they are in. They have become satiated with this present life, all that the world is offering them. Life's become very, very good for the Corinthian church. So much so that the Corinthian version of Christianity has diverged greatly from Paul's version of Christianity. And so Paul begins to point out these differences. That's where you guys are at. That's how you guys see yourselves. Let's take a look at the example that I've given to you, which he received straight from the Lord. And he says this in verse 9, For it seems to me that God has put us apostles on display at the end of the procession, like men condemned to die in the arena, We have been made a spectacle to the whole universe, to angels as well as to men. We are fools for Christ, but you are so wise. We are weak, but you are strong. You are honored. We are dishonored. Do you see the difference, guys? Do you see the difference between your Corinthian Christianity and what I'm living out? To this very hour, we go hungry And thirsty, we are in rags, we are brutally treated, we are homeless, we work hard with our own hands. Oh my goodness, the shame, you actually work? When we are cursed, we bless. When we are persecuted, we endure it. When we are slandered, we answer kindly. Up to this moment, we have become the scum of the earth, the refuse of the world, Paul's point in this is singular. Man, in contrast to the Corinthians who are filled, rich, powerful, reigning, satisfied with this world, he and his fellow apostles look far more like the Lord Jesus. They're obviously, obviously ones that have not yet begun to reign. The Corinthians are over here reigning, and the apostles... From the example of the Lord Jesus, man, you poor apostles, you have not yet begun to reign. What's going on? Now, obviously, there isn't anything bad and blessing. But the Corinthian church, the affluence, the lack of persecution, the security, the entertainment even it's caused their perspective to change, guys. Once they knew they were weak, they were poor in spirit, once they knew that they needed Christ, that Christ alone could satisfy, and yet now, man, they think that they are strong. They think that they are satisfied and that they are reigning. Their present situation had eased them into this perspective change. They had subtly began to believe that this life was able to satisfy. And the American church, if the Corinthian church is there, if they struggled with that, what about us, the American church? Would, might, might we be at all susceptible to that? Oh my goodness. Oh my goodness. How much do we assume, do we bank on the fact that this life can satisfy us? How loosely do we grip the idea of being fulfilled right now? John Piper wrote this book on the life of Adoniram Judson and in it he talks at length about the sufferings and the the depression that Judson dealt with as he saw his first wife die and as he saw many of his kids pass away. Judson remarries and... Just as tragedy strikes again and his second wife passes away, Piper writes these incredible words. He says this. He says, This time Adniram did not descend into the depths of depression as before. He had his children, but even more, now listen to this, even more his sufferings had disengaged him from hoping for too much in this world. His sufferings had disengaged him from hoping for too much in this world. He was learning how to hate this life in this world without bitterness or depression. How much do we hope for, guys, out of this world? How much do we believe that we can find fulfillment and satisfaction in this world? How disengaged are we from that dream? John twelve twenty five. Jesus says this, Those who love their life will lose it, and those who hate their life in this world will keep it for eternal life. Again, I applaud you guys. I applaud this body because you have demonstrated an example of clinging to those truths that say, Man, this is not what we live for. We must keep our focus on what is to come. We must keep our focus on our ultimate end. But I also know that on the spectrum of earthly fullness, man, the American church, they are at the very, very end. We have tremendous blessing. So we must continue to remind ourselves about these truths that we see in 1 Corinthians chapter 4. We must cling to. To these truths that keep us from hoping for too much in this world. Paul Washer says it like this. He says, persecution has never hurt the church. Only prosperity. Persecution has never hurt the church. Only prosperity. You see, if we're going to live sacrificial, obedient lives to Christ... in in being involved in carrying out his great commission, we have to have a proper eschatology. We have to have a proper eschatology that is firm on our future hope. An eschatology that says it's to come. It's going to come. It is not now. We cannot pin our fulfillment and our satisfaction on what is happening now. It's to come. It's going to come. We have to have an eschatology that actually undermines the idea that we will be satisfied and find true happiness in this world. Our eschatology needs to point us to what is to come and actually undermine that false thinking. And it's got to be an eschatology that makes crystal clear logic of the truth that anything I can sacrifice right now in light of eternity, man, that's just good sense. That's just good common sense. Anything that I can sacrifice now as an investment in what is to come, our end that will have no end, man, that's just good common sense. That's right thinking that God wants his children to have. If this world, as in the Corinthian sense, if this world begins to satisfy us, what ultimately happens is that it will dim heaven for us. It will dim heaven. And if heaven becomes dim, then no sacrifice that we make in light of heaven makes any sense at all. The theme verse of this conference, Matthew chapter 9, 37 and 38, says this, Then he said to his disciples, The harvest is plentiful, but the laborers are few. Therefore, ask the Lord of the harvest to send out laborers into his harvest. Guys, if heaven is dim, then that harvest, that plentiful harvest that God calls us to be about, that's a secondary issue. That's a secondary issue. Why would we sacrifice for that? If heavens dim, that harvest is secondary. That's the message that these elders from BM wanted to pass on to you guys. And remember, remember that we are not living for now. We will meet again one day, guys. We will meet you guys one day in our home and it will be our home forever live your lives now in light of that eternity let's pray dear heavenly father we thank you for your word we thank you for the truth that's in it we thank you for the warning that it gives us the protection that it is to us the reminder that we have a future hope yes we enjoy our relationship with you now but this world this world that we are in it may bring sorrows it may bring suffering it may have tremendous blessing but Lord may we not be satisfied by this world may we keep our eyes fixed on eternity may the truths of your word do that work in us And may we live our lives in light of eternity. In Jesus' name we pray. Amen.